Volume One, Chapter Eighteen of A Charming Fellow. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Charming Fellow by Francis Eleanor Trollope. Volume One, Chapter Eighteen. On the day following the dinner at Lord Seely's, Algernon received a card importing that Mrs. Matchin Stubbs would be at home that evening. Of the lady he knew nothing, except that she was an elder sister of young Pawkins of Pudcombe Hall, and that her family, who were people of consideration in Whitford and its neighbourhood, thought Jemima to have made a good match in marrying Mr. Matchin Stubbs. In giving him the letter of introduction, Orlando Pawkins had let fall a word or two as to the position his sister held in London society. "'I can't send anybody and everybody to the Matchin Stubbses,' said young Pawkins. "'In their position it wouldn't be fair to inflict our bucolic magnates on them. But I am sure Jemima will be very glad to make your acquaintance, old fellow.' Algernon was quite free from arrogance. He would have been well enough contented to dine with Mr. Matchin Stubbs had that gentleman been a grocer or a cheesemonger, and in that case he would probably have derived a good deal of amusement from any little vulgarities which might have marked the manners of his host, and would have entertained his genteeler friends by a humorous imitation of the same. But he was not in the least overawed by the prospect of meeting Mrs. Matchin Stubbs, and was quite aware that he probably owed his introduction to her, to young Pawkins's knowledge of the fact that he was Lady Seely's relation. Algernon betook himself to the house of Mrs. Matchin Stubbs in the fashionable neighbourhood before mentioned, about half-past ten o'clock, and found the small reception-rooms already fuller than was agreeable. Mrs. Matchin Stubbs received him very graciously. She was a pretty woman, with a smooth fair face and light hair, and she was dressed with as much good taste as was compatible with the extreme of the prevailing fashion. She smiled a good deal, and was quite destitute of any sense of humour so glad to see you mr errington she said when algernon had made his bow you and orlando are great friends are you not you must let me make you acquainted with my husband then she handed algernon over to a stout red-faced white-haired gentleman much older than herself who shook hands with him and said how do you do and how long have you been in town and then appeared to consider that he had done all that could be expected of him in the way of conversation i don't suppose you know many people here mr errington said mrs matchin stubbs seeing that algernon was standing silent in the shadow of her husband not any you know i have never been in london before haven't you really but perhaps we may have some mutual acquaintance notwithstanding let me see who is here said the lady looking round her rooms are you acquainted with the dormers mrs matchin stubbs the dormers let me see general and lady harriet dormer oh no i don't think i am of course i must have met them in the course of the season sooner or later one meets everybody do you know miss kilfinane miss kilfinane i-i can't recall at this moment she is a sort of connection of mine not a relation for she is lord seely's niece not my lady's oh to be sure you are a cousin of lady seely yes yes i had forgotten but orlando did mention it in truth the fact of algernon's relationship to lady seely was the only one concerning him which had dwelt in mrs matchin stubbs memory presently she resumed i should like to introduce you to a great friend of ours the most delightful creature i hope he will come to-night but he is very difficult to catch he is a son of lord mullingar what jack price oh you know him do you only by reputation he was to have dined at lord seely's last night when i was there but he didn't show oh i know he's dreadfully uncertain but i must say however that he is generally very good about coming to me it's quite wonderful i'm sure i don't know why i am so favoured then algernon was presented to a rather awful dowager with two stiff daughters to whom he talked as well as he could and the nicest looking of whom he took into the tea-room where there was a great crush 
and where people trod on each other's toes and poked their elbows into each other's ribs to procure a cup of hay-coloured tea and a biscuit that had seen better days upon my word thought algernon if this is london society i think whitford society better fun but then he reflected that mrs matchin stubbs was not a real leader of fashionable society she was not quite a rose herself although she lived near enough to the roses for their scent to cling more or less faintly about her garments he was not bored for his quick powers of perception and lively appreciation of the ludicrous enabled him to gather considerable amusement from the scene especially did he feel amused and in his element when on an allusion to his cousinship to lady seely thrown out in the airiest most haphazard way the awful dowager and the stiff daughters unbent and became as gracious as temperament in the one case and painfully tight stays in the other permitted he's a very agreeable person your young friend mr ancram errington said the dowager later on in the evening to mrs matchin stubbs oh yes he's very nice indeed he is a great favourite with my people he half lives at our place i believe when orlando is at home indeed he is a uh, connected with the seelys i believe in some way second cousin lady seely was an ancram warwickshire ancrams you know returned mrs matchin stubbs who knew her peerage nearly by heart whereupon the dowager went back to her daughter by whose side having nothing else to do algernon was still sitting and told him that she should be happy to see him at her house in portland place any friday afternoon between four and six o'clock during the season presently when the company was giving forth a greater amount and louder degree of talk than had hitherto been the case for herr doppeldown had just sat down to the grand piano algernon's quick eyes perceived a movement near the door of the principal drawing-room and saw mrs matchin stubbs advance with extended hand and more eagerness than she had thrown into her reception of most of the company to greet a gentleman who entered with a kind of plunge tripping over a bearskin rug that lay before the door and dropping his hat he was a short broad-chested man with a bald forehead and a fringe of curly chestnut hair round his head he was evidently extremely near-sighted and wore a glass in one eye the effort of keeping which in its place occasioned an odd contortion of his facial muscles he was rubicund and looked like a man who might grow to be very stout later in life at present he was only rather stout and was braced and strapped and tightened so as to make the best of his figure his dress was the dress of a dandy of that day and he wore a fragrant hothouse flower in his buttonhole that must be jack price thought algernon he scarcely knew why and the next moment he got away from the dowager and her daughters and sauntered towards the door oh here is mr addington said mrs matchin stubbs looking round at him as he made his way through the crowd do let me introduce you to mr price this is mr ancram errington a great friend of my brother orlando you have met orlando i think oh indeed i have said mr jack price in a rich sweet voice and with a very decidedly marked brogue orlando was one of my dearest friends delightful fellow what orlando's friend must be my friend if you will what the little interrogation at the end of the sentence meant nothing but was a mere trick the use of it with a soft rising inflection of mr jack price's very musical voice had once upon a time been pronounced to be captivating by an enthusiastic irish lady but he had not fallen into the habit of using it from any idea that it was captivating nor had he desisted from it since all projects of captivation had departed from his mind i was to have met you at dinner last night mr price said algernon shaking his proffered hand last night i was where is it i was last night oh at the blazonvilles yes of course what why didn't you come then mr errington the duke would have been delighted perfectly charmed to see you well that may be doubtful seeing that i cannot flatter myself that his grace is even aware of my existence said algernon looking at mr price with twinkling eyes and his mouth twitching with the effort to avoid a broad grin jack price looked back at him puzzled and smiling 
eh how was it then what was it wasn't me was it algernon laughed outright ah now mr mr my dear fellow where was it that you were to have met me my cousin lady seely was hoping for the pleasure of your company mr price she was under the impression that you had promised to dine with her jack price fell back a step and gave himself a sounding slap on the forehead good gracious goodness he exclaimed you don't mean to say that i do indeed ah now upon my honour i am the most unfortunate fellow under the sun i don't know how the deuce it is that these kind of misfortunes are always happening to me what will i say to lady seely she'll never speak to me any more i suppose what you should keep a little book and note down your engagements mr price said mrs matchin stubbs as she walked away to some other guests mr price gave algernon a comical look half rueful half amused i don't quite see myself with a little book entering all my engagements said he i dare say you've already heard from lady seely of my sins and shortcomings at all events i have heard this that whatever may be your sins and shortcomings they are always forgiven i am afraid i bear an awfully bad character my dear mr errington ancram errington to be sure ah i know your name well enough but names are among the things that slip my memory it is a serious misfortune what then the two began to chat together and when the crowd began to diminish and the rattle of carriages grew more frequent down in the street beneath the drawing-room windows jack price proposed to algernon to go and sup with him at his club they walked away together arm in arm and as they left mrs matchin stubbs doorstep mr price assured his new acquaintance that that lady was the nicest creature in the world and one of his dearest friends and that he could take upon himself to assert that mrs matchin stubbs would be only too delighted to receive him algernon at any time and as often as he liked it will give her real pleasure now what said jack price with quite a glow of hospitality on behalf of mrs matchin stubbs then they went to mr price's club it was neither a political club nor a fashionable club nor a grand club but a club that was widely miscellaneous and decidedly jolly algernon before he returned to his lodgings that night had come to the opinion that london was after all a great deal better fun than whitford and jack price when he called upon lady seely the next day to make his peace with her declared that young errington was really now the most delightful and dearest boy in the world and that he was quite certain that the young fellow was most warmly attached to lord and lady seely all this was agreeable enough and algernon would have been content to go on in the same way to the end of the london season had it been possible but careless as he was about money he was not careless about the luxuries which money supplies certainly if tradesmen and landlords could only be induced to give unlimited credit algernon would have had none the less pleasure in availing himself of their wares because he had not paid for them in coin of the realm but as to doing without or even limiting himself to an inferior quality and restricted quantity that was a matter about which he was not at all indifferent he was received on a familiar footing in the seelys house and his reception there opened to him many other houses in which it was more or less agreeable and flattering to be received among the matchin stubbses of london society he was looked upon as quite a desirable guest and received a good deal of petting which he took with the best grace in the world and all this was as has been said pleasant enough but as weeks went on algernon's money began to run short and he soon beheld the dismal prospect ahead and not very far ahead of his last sovereign and he was in debt as to being in debt that had nothing in it appalling to our young man's imagination what frightened him was the conviction that he should not be permitted to go on being in debt other people owed money and seemed to enjoy life none the less mr jack price for instance had an allowance from his father on which no one pretended to expect him to live 
and he appeared very comfortable and contented in the midst of a rolling sea of debt which sometimes ebbed a little and sometimes flowed alarmingly high but which during the last ten years or so had managed to keep pretty fairly at the same level but then mr price was the honourable john patrick price the earl of mullingar's son a younger son it was true and neither lord mullingar nor lord mullingar's heir was likely to have the means or the inclination to fish him out of the rolling sea aforesaid at the most they would throw him a plank now and then just to keep him afloat still there was something to be got out of jack price by a west end tradesman who knew his business something was to be got in the way of money and perhaps something more in the way of connection upon the whole it may be supposed that the west end tradesmen understood what they were about when they went on supplying the honourable john patrick price with all sorts of comforts and luxuries season after season but with algernon the case was widely different and he knew it he had ventured to speak to lord seely about his prospects and to ask that nobleman's advice but lord seely had not seemed able to offer any advice which it was practicable to follow indeed how should he have done so seeing that he was ignorant of most of the material facts of the case he knew in a general way that young ancram algernon had come to be called so in the seely household was poor but between lord seely's conception of the sort of poverty which might pinch a well-born young gentleman who always appeared in the neatest fitting shoes and freshest of gloves and the reality of algernon's finances there was a wide discrepancy algernon had indeed talked freely and with much appearance of frankness about his life in whitford but it may be doubted whether lord seely or his wife either although she doubtless came nearer to the truth in her imaginings on the subject at all realized such facts as that mrs errington had no maid to attend on her that her lodgings cost her eighteen shillings a week and that the smell of cheese from the shop below was occasionally a source of discomfort in her only sitting-room with lord seely algernon had made himself a great favourite and the proof of it was that my lord actually thought about him when he was absent and one day said to his wife i wish belinda that we could do something for ancram do something for him i think we do a great deal for him he has the run of the house and i introduce him right and left and he is always asked to sing when we have people that latter looks rather like his doing something for us i think not at all it's a great advantage for a young fellow in his position to be brought forward and allowed to show off his little gifts in that way he is wasting his time i wish we could get him something to do i am sure you have plenty of claims on you that come before him i did speak to the duke of blazonville about him the other day said my lord with the slightest hesitation in the world the duke of blazonville was in the cabinet and had been a colleague of lord seely's years ago what on earth made you do that valentine you know very well that the next thing the duke has to give i particularly want for reginald oh but what i should ask for young ancram would be something at which your nephew reginald would probably turn up his nose something which reginald would not care about taking reginald wouldn't go abroad except to italy nor indeed anywhere in italy but to naples exactly whether the duke would consider that he was particularly serving the interests of diplomacy by sending reginald to naples i don't know but at all events ancram could not interfere with that project serving nonsense the duke would do it to oblige me as to ancram i have latterly had a kind of plan in my head about ancram about a place for him well yes a place if you like to call it so what do you say to his coming abroad with us in the autumn eh coming abroad with us of course we should have to pay all his expenses but i think he would be amusing and perhaps useful he talks french very well and is lively and good-tempered i have no doubt he would be a most charming travelling companion i don't know about that but i should take him out of kindness and to do him a service but i don't see of what use such a plan would be to him belinda 
well i've had an idea in my head i tell you i have kept my eyes open and i fancy i see a chance for ancram you are very mysterious my dear said lord seely with a little shrug well least said soonest mended i shall be mysterious a little longer and meanwhile i think we might make him the offer to take him to switzerland with us since you have no objection i have no objection certainly i think i shall mention it to him then and if i were you i wouldn't bother the duke about him just yet but what is this notion of yours belinda the exclamation rose to my lady's lips how inquisitive men are but she suppressed it it was the kind of speech which particularly angered lord seely who much disliked being lumped in with his fellow-creatures on the ground of common qualities even a compliment so framed that my lord was supposed to share it with a number of other persons would have displeased him so my lady said well now valentine you'll begin to laugh at me very likely but i believe i'm right i think castalia is very well inclined to like this young fellow and she might do worse castalia like him why you don't mean yes i do returned my lady nodding her head that's just what i do mean i'm sure the other evening she became quite sentimental about him good heavens belinda but the idea is preposterous yes i knew you'd say so at first that's why i didn't want to say anything about it just yet a while but allow me to say that if you had any such idea in your head it was only proper that it should be mentioned to me well i have mentioned it lord seely clasped his hands behind his back and walked up and down the room in a stiff abrupt kind of march at length he stopped opposite to her ladyship who was assiduously soothing fido fido having for some occult reason becoming violently exasperated by his master's walking about the room why in the first place do send that brute away said his lordship sharply there he's quiet now good fido good boy mustn't bark and growl at master yes you were saying i was saying that in the first place castalia must be ten years older than this boy about that i should say but if they don't mind that i don't see what it matters to us and he has not any means nor any prospect of earning any that i can see why for that matter castalia hasn't a shilling in the world you know we have to find her in everything and so has your sister julia when castalia goes to stay with her and if these two could set their horses together could in a word make a match of it why you might do something to provide for the two together don't you see killing two birds with one stone very much like killing two birds indeed what are they to live on if ancram makes up to castalia you must get him a place something modest of course i don't see that they can either of them expect a grand thing putting all other considerations aside said my lord drawing himself up it would be a very odd sort of match for castalia kilfinane come his birth is as good as hers anyway if his father was an apothecary her mother was a pure curate's daughter rector's daughter belinda dr vice was a learned man and the rector of his parish oh well it all comes to the same thing and as to an odd sort of match why perhaps an odd match is better than none at all you know castalia's no beauty she don't grow younger and she'll be unbearable in her temper if once she thinks she's booked for an old maid poor lord seely was much disquieted he had a kindly feeling for his orphan niece which would have ripened into affection if miss castalia's character had been a little less repellent and he really liked algernon errington so much that the notion of his marrying castalia appeared to him in the light of a sacrifice even although he held his own opinion as to the comparative goodness of the ancrum and kilfinane blood but nevertheless such was lady seely's force of character that many days had not elapsed before his lordship was silenced if not convinced on the subject and the invitation to go to switzerland was given to algernon and accepted End of chapter eighteen